What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. Let's think about it. A lot of people, they're looking to get jobs. The uncertainty right now because of this pandemic, depending on when you're watching or listening to this, Right. And and rightfully so. But when you go to get a job, when you go to better your situation, whatever, and you say, oh, man, yeah, you know, Casanova, I know Casanova. And someone says, oh, do you? Yeah. You know, he's a good guy. He's always hustling. He's always working. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I've learned so much from him. And then let's say that person calls me up and they say, hey, do you know so and so? Let's just use the name, you know, Joe right now. Do you know Joe? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I kind of know Joe. He seems like a guy. I don't really know him like that, but he seems like a good guy. They're like, oh, okay, right? And now what do you think your chances are landing that job? I mean, it's a little bit better than if you didn't know me at all and I said I didn't know you, but it's probably about 50-50. They're going to do a lot more homework on you. Would you agree? Absolutely. They're probably going to call another reference or two. But if I say, oh, Joe, man, I've been knowing Joe since he was about yay high. I tell you, Joe is the truth. If you can get Joe on your team, you got to snatch that up right away. I tried to get him a couple times and he he, he didn't want to come work for me because he just felt like that wasn't a part of his vision. But if you can get Joe on your team, man, that that's solid right there. Now, let me ask, what do you think your chances are of being hired by, you know, whoever it is, said person? They're a lot higher, right? Because I knew you. And where did that come from? That came from your credibility. So for a lot of people, when they're thinking about things, about getting a job, about starting real estate, all these things, they only think at the surface level. I don't want you to just think at the surface level. I want you to think a lot higher than that. I want you to be thinking, you know, how can I maintain my reputation and my credibility over time and make sure that I'm always on time, make sure that I'm always accountable, make sure that I'm always punctual, right? With what I say that I'm going to do, that's where it comes from. That's where the success comes from. Every day, there's going to be a grind. Every day, there's a grind in something. If there's no grind on the physical, there's always a grind on the mental. Because discipline, man, that's the hardest thing to conquer. It is every day getting up doing what you said you were going to do when you just don't feel like it. There's no magic pill for that. It could be running. It could be not eating out. It could be... Going to the gym, I'm saying all these things that have to do with your health. Of course, we do know that health is wealth as well. But it could be following up on emails. It could be making sales calls. Whatever it is, it's the discipline. The discipline will get you there. And ultimately, the discipline will keep you there. Talent can get you there. But without discipline, you will never stay. 
We see it with the greatest of athletes. We see it with LeBron. We see it with Steph Curry. We see it with Tom Brady. We see it. It doesn't matter who it is. It's that mindset that you have that every day, I don't need to be the greatest, but I need to be a little bit better than where I was yesterday. It's that discipline that every day I got to teach my kid something new. Every day I got my kid watching me. Right. And and they want to see how do I respond? How do I respond in this pandemic? How do I, how am I responding? They are watching my younger brother, my younger sister, my parents. They want to see all of the tangible advice, all of the acumen, whether it's business acumen or personal acumen, all of the life lessons that they've tried to teach me. Will I respond? How will I respond? That is the discipline every single day. And it's not easy. So be thinking about that because that discipline will then lead to your reputation, which leads to your credibility, which leads to you being able to do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. So I'm excited to be talking about real estate. I'm excited to be talking about how can someone level up not only their mindset, but how can they level up their generational wealth? How can they level up their their legacy? A lot of the times when you have assets and you have relationships combined with discipline, the opportunities will come. They come every single day. But is your mind trained to see them or is your mind trained to have fear so you pass up on them? Do you have that poor mindset passing over opportunities repeatedly? That's what you got to be thinking about. When you make that decision, when you make that choice, today is my day, this week is my week. That's when it all changes. For me, when I lost my mom, when I lost my job, when I lost my home, I had a choice to make. My wife was now supporting me, not only financially, but she was supporting me emotionally. I had a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Is today your day? I would argue to say that it is because you woke up. Jeff Bezos at one time, Amazon was not what it is. Amazon was only a thought at one time. But he had a choice to make. Facebook was only a thought at one time, but he had a choice to make. Zoom, a lot of us use Zoom. Gaming, it doesn't matter what it is. Writing that book. At one time, it was only a dream. But you chose to take action. That time could be today if you choose to take action. Is there one type of business that you think right now everybody should be looking into coming from a consultant standpoint, whether it's Mm. like digital marketing agency, the Amazon business, becoming a consultant? Is there any one thing that that when people are struggling right now and they say, hey, I have some I just I love to work hard. You know, I know I can serve people. What's that Mm -hmm. one thing that you would say? Look into this. Yeah. Well, I'm going to totally recognize my bias here in that I love working with knowledge workers and experts. And I think, you know, and I have helped experts since COVID hit, take stuff that was offline and get it online to replace their lost income. Because some of them, you know, things canceled and went away and they couldn't, right? And so the income evaporated and they needed to figure something out. And so they took it online very quickly, their expertise. So, you know, when you ha- if you have an expertise in an, you know, that kind of like knowledge worker, consultant or coach or expert service provider, 
you can add and create income very quickly, packaging it up in different ways, right? Now, I want to recognize that that's a bias because that's what I teach and that's what I do. But I also realize that not everybody, like that's not their style of entrepreneurship. And I'm sure there may be some, I don't know, multi-level marketing thing right now that you could just totally take off with that that was your thing. Or, you know, my brother, he buys, he goes and buys stuff at Walmarts and all these stores and he comes back to Amazon and sells, you know, all of it, like sometimes a five to 10 times markup, right? And he loves right. that. He loves looking at the numbers and like looking through old books and he's scans it. He's like, Oh my gosh, I can buy this for a buck and I can sell it for 20, you know? And that's like, he, he totally, I don't think that that would interest me. So really the question I would bring it back. If somebody was asking me that I'd say, okay, well, I need to know more about what it, it kind of comes back to that Venn diagram, right? And the circle right. that's you. So it's like, well, what interests you? What are you curious about? Where, what are your strengths? What gets you going? Right. And so, but you know, in terms there, there's a lot of opportunity on the internet and I do love, you know, creating knowledge or information products because there's a lot of people out there looking for information and help and leadership and there's a huge margin on it, right? You can create it once and you can make a lot of money off of selling courses and things because the value is there and people will pay for it. Whereas, you know, and again, I'm not saying a physical good business is not a good one, but you know, there's a different margins when you're buying physical goods or making physical goods and selling them. So, but by no means would I feel like try to shoehorn somebody into a, a knowledge worker information marketing business if like, they just had no interest in being that, you know, face of something or voice of something or running and facilitating group coaching calls or, you know, if that just wasn't for them, then, you know, that they'd want to talk to somebody else, I guess. So there's my very qualified answer to your Yeah, question. no, I love it. You, you definitely drop value there. What, how, one thing that, that struck me is for a lot of people when they first get into business and then when they be, they, they feel like that, there's not a place for them. And it seems mm -hmm. like you've always found your place, right? You, mm -hmm. you jumped and did a couple of different things from the podcasting world to helping other people to now consultants. And you've jumped a lot of things. How do you think that you've been able to navigate that to never feel like you were an imposter? Oh, I felt like I was an imposter plenty. And actually, I still do sometimes, believe it or not. So that's that's an interesting note, right? Uh, and you can find a lot of famous people who actually still feel like imposters. Sometimes if you go in and imposter syndrome quotes, and you're going to find all kinds of celebrities who are like, yeah, every time I'm on set, you know, I don't, I don't want to put words in somebody's mouth, but I think it was like Tom Hanks or somebody's like, yeah, I'm still waiting for somebody to come up and say, what, you know, you're get out of, get out of Hollywood. You're a fraud. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's something to realize. It doesn't necessarily just go away, but I would say, how was I able to, I mean, it was not always, and I'm not always perfect at this, but if I look back and go, when I was able to push forward and do it, it was following that curiosity and building, being willing to experiment whether it was when I quit my job and experimented with real estate investing or decided to experiment with doing my first, um, you know, workshop, live workshop, or experimented with putting a course online or experimented with starting a podcast or then, you know, fast forward and, and had, you know, wasn't happy. And so I stepped away from a successful business to experiment with other things. It was following my curiosity and always looking at like strategy and growth as what's my next best hypothesis based on what I think will work well for me. And also what I'm just kind of driven to, you know, eager to, to check out and find, you know, see if it, uh, see if it can work for me. So that, that's what I would encourage people to, to do. The number one thing, the, no, the number one thing, and it's something that you have to do constantly is, is write a vision. And you have to have a vision, but you also need to write a vision. And you need to write it as detailed as you can possibly get it to be. And the reason why you got to do that, man, is because you got to, Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. You got to, you got to start with the end in mind. 
I think everyone, I, I, I hear people say stuff like, you know, I wake up and just, I don't like to plan my day. I like to see where the day leads me. I, I don't let my day lead me nowhere. I, I, I'm determining how this day is going to go because I, there are a lot of people who are in depression because their day led them into depression. They look outside and see the weather. And, oh, it's a great day. I guess, I guess it's going to be one of those sad days. No, you have to determine your day. You have to determine your month. You have to determine your year. You have to determine the next five years. What I'm asking people, what I'm asking millennials and Gen Z to do right now is describe 10 years for me. Describe what 15 years from now look like. Just let's think about it. This idea of just live for the day. I get it. Enjoy the day. Take the day in. Appreciate all the stuff that's happening within this day. But the best way to maximize today is by declaring my tomorrow, by saying, mm. by saying because I know where I'm going. Let me maximize what I'm doing in this day because I know where I'm headed. And I think there are too many people who have no clue where they are going. They are literally one Monday, they're one way. Tuesday, they're a basketball player. Wednesday, they're an astronaut. Friday, they're a gangster. It's like, can you can you make up your mind? And I think, yes, things change. Did we expect a pandemic? No. Well, let me ask you a question. I'm asking you a question. I know you're interviewing me, but were you doing this before the pandemic? Oh, absolutely. And and with the pandemic, are you stopped doing this or is this what you do? That's what I do. That's what I'm saying. So we know things happen along the way, but but I actually think that when you have a plan, you are more prepared for change and for shifts to happen quickly. But those people who are just living life and don't know where you want to be in 10 years, I don't know how you can build a legacy. And this is what I believe. If you don't take time to build your own legacy, you will spend the rest of your life building someone else's. And I think that you need to start to determine what do I want my legacy to look like in the next five years. Man, I love it. And, and that first thing that you said, I think everybody, no matter if you're a millennial or not, there's so many people just going through life that just like you said, they don't have their vision written down. And they've never thought about it, maybe because they're afraid to tell other people. Maybe it's because they're afraid to tell it to themselves. Maybe it's too small. Maybe they think that it's too big, right? And so they're afraid to, to maybe even shut themselves down. But one thing I always tell my students, I tell my friends, my family, like, at the end of the day, you do not have to love the journey, but you have to be married to the destination. Yeah. One of the other things that you teach a lot of people is the framework of starting an agency, right? And, and you talked about this. I want to say in one of your later podcasts that you've just talked about that. Talk to me about it. Like, why should someone, one, start an agency? Is this a good time right now? And if you're thinking about, yeah, I do want to start an agency, um, what is that framework look like? in the history of the world to start a digital agency. I'm not just saying that because I help agency owners. You it said really the best time in the history of the world. Ever, 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 ever. Wow, that's and a I'll powerful statement. I, I'll tell you why, because everything's shut down. People can't travel, people can't, you know, there's entire businesses that used to depend on going to conferences mm -hmm. or meeting with their prospects in order to sell them that they can't do that anymore. If you understand digital marketing and you can connect those people virtually, you're behind the doctors and the nurses. Those are the most important people, right? During this pandemic. But you're right. You're the first line for the economy because you can connect business owners, right? You can connect the restaurants with people, right? And keep the restaurants relevant for posting their recipes 
and making the you know them popular and so when we get back to some sort of normal that you can go the best time to start agencies is in a down market when i started in 99 this was in the dot bomb era right when all the dot coms were getting stupid valuations and it crashed 911 was another really good one where we took a giant leap 08 i've seen when i've interviewed tons of people and even helped people sell their agency a lot of times they've started in 08 because the bigger companies are struggling because they they're so fat and they're they have such a huge overhead and they're laying people off and then people are like i don't want to work for someone i can go do this myself so this is the best time ever to do it now, when we talk about a digital agency, I know that sometimes it can, obviously we're in the world of online marketing um, and marketing in general. But for a lot of people that may be listening to this and they're still working a nine to five, but they would like to get out and, and they, they do like marketing. What exactly is a digital agency? Is that like running somebody's social media? Does that mean you only do their like social or, or their display ads campaign? Is that just Facebook? What's a digital agency actually mean? Any digital marketing service that you provide some for someone else. So it could be creating websites, could be Facebook ads, YouTube ads, Instagram ads, uh, managing the social media, writing copy, doing videos, right? It's really any kind of digital marketing doing and, and strategy behind it for a particular prospect or a client. Uh, that's what an agency is. And even if you're a one person, you still can be an agency, even though technically you're a freelancer, but you can still have amount of resources around you to help you fulfill and to right like there's more right. and more i have so many agencies now that they work from home their whole team is virtual they might have one operator because they're not the operator that they pay full time but they're a multi-million dollar agency like it's crazy like when i look at what you can do now for what when we were running the agency it's crazy like we had over 100 people at our agency and eight figure agency like you had to have that many people. Now right. you can have an eight-figure agency or bigger and not even close to that number of people. It's it's just it's crazy. the world of outsourcing and now being connected with so many more people and there's so many more sites out there that give you the resources that whatever you want, if you can connect the dots, like you said, and help somebody else tell their story better, then that's the huge opportunity. So there's three main reasons or three main ways that one learns. One is observation. Second is conversation. Third is education. And those are Tim's story sayings. I love it. So observation is what I saw. So I saw all my family responding different to grieving. So that, that's how I learned grieving at first. But then you also learn through conversation. So as you get older in life and you find out about people that suffer loss, then through conversation, I learned how they handle grieving, whether it be good or bad or indifferent. Then I decided later in life, probably 18, to really dive into this idea of the comeback. And so that's how I became the comeback coach to the stars is since I was 18, I started studying what a setback is, what a setback feels like, why people sit, settle and cement themselves in a setback. And with setback comes grieving. And so that's the education start side started at age 18. Got it. I, I love it. Now, 
there's a lot of people right now that's feeling that exact way that they've had a setback. They've lost their job. Maybe health is taken apart because they've experienced directly some of the side effects of, you know, COVID or anything else. What, how do you coach people out of that right now in a time where there's so much uncertainty? And even because before this pandemic that we had going on, depending on when you're listening to this, there's a lot of people that, you know, they could have went and gotten another job. But right now, it's like when no one's hiring, a lot of the world shut down. How do they get through their day to day? How would you encourage someone to come through their day to day? Yeah, I think number one, what's very, very important is that just because a young person is fairly good at basketball and they go to a Michael Jordan basketball camp for two days doesn't mean they're going to be good. (laughs) It just means they're going to learn some things. Right. And so the reality is, is that many times people watch a podcast like this or they'll go to a Tony Robbins seminar or they'll, you know, go to Grant Cardone's 10X and they'll think, okay, ooh, my life's going to be like instantly changed in a weekend. No, you may be challenged. You may be upgraded. You may catch fire. But there are stages to this. And so the stages I actually wrote down. Number one, you got to become awake. Number two, you become aware because you could be awake and not aware. And then thirdly, you got to take inventory. You got to say, oh man, I lost my job and I didn't save money. So therefore, I don't have any money in the bank. I will never be in this position again. See, I, I, as a life coach, I want you to feel that. See, the way we felt broke when I was a kid, I decided not to be broke. Hmm. See, I told my mother when I was 12, you will never worry about money. I said, when I'm in my mid-20s, you will never, ever worry about money. So I'll tell you now, my mother doesn't ever worry about money. Right. You get it? I get it. Okay. So you got to become awake, aware, you take inventory. You got to take inventory, but get get irritated if you need to. And then the fourth thing is, is that you got to find the right partners. People that have been through it before. See, that's why to me, social media is good, but social media is also silly. Because there's a lot of people with some silly ideas trying to lead us through. I need somebody with some backbone. I need somebody that understands, somebody that understands the battle. So that's why with you, Casanova, I think that when I hear about your story of setback early, okay, challenges early, even health challenges early, that I'll listen to you because you you turned a test into a testimony. Hmm. Make sense? It does. So 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 be careful who you follow because if the blind lead the blind, you're both going in the pit. How do people change their baseline? 
Like, what does that look? Because you said it's disengaged, right? But mm. the baseline should be engaged. So for someone right now that is disengaged and they're listening at this and they are going to a retailer, big box retailer, and they're back at work. And yeah. now, you know, they didn't figure out their plan over these yeah. last eight weeks while we've been in a pandemic and everything has been shut down yeah. or depending on when they're listening at this, how do they change that baseline? I have a friend who says that the story of your life, the story of your life is not your life. It's just a story. So for example, Casanova, can you tell me a story? You just told me a story before we started rolling. Can you tell me a story about your life where I go, your life is a tragedy. You have to tell me your story only using things that would make it a tragedy, a sad story. Can you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I go, your life is a triumph, right? Your life is a heroic story. Can you tell me all the events in your life that make your story a heroic story? Yeah. So when we look at our own lives, the question is, what story do you want to tell? Hmm. And how do you change your baseline? You have to understand that if, if you're living a tragedy right now, and lots of people are, and I totally get that, you continuing to tell yourself this is a tragedy keeps you in that loop of whatever it is of like unhappy relationships, poverty, whatever. And, and so you have to just begin by understanding like I'm reliving the same story. And if at any moment I could believe in something better than my current circumstance, I could change. Now, how do we do that? One, we just have to acknowledge that we're telling ourselves a story and it doesn't work to simply change, right? Like if we could just tell everybody's living in poverty right now, just stop telling yourself, you know, I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life, right? Like that doesn't really work. That's hard, but right. they don't believe it. So what you have to do is you have to begin to see another reality as possible. You have to be inspired by someone who looks like you, acts like you, comes from a similar background or somebody that who you can sort of see yourself in. You can see your story in their story. That gives you hope, right? Right. That gives you hope. You go, oh, he did it. I think I'm maybe a little bit smarter than this guy. (laughs) Or like she did it. Like she could do it. I can do it. Right. And so we have more control over that than we realize. Uh, This is called positive confirmation bias, right? Like you and I both know people who say stuck in the same patterns. And we, like I do this too. Say, you know, whether it's like, health, money, opportunity, relationships, whatever. Like I can't get a date. She, you know, can't get somebody to like me. I can't make more than this much money, whatever. I can only, I can't lose this weight, whatever it is. And, and we often find information that confirms the thing that we already want to be true. Hmm. Right. So that's how you stay stuck in this pattern. You know, you go, I work with a lot of creative people and they go, you know, I'm always going to be a starving artist. You can't make money doing that. I said, really, you can't make money doing that? Do you want me to live? It doesn't matter what it is. I can fashion, photography, writing, music, acting. You don't have to be Taylor Swift anymore to make a living as a musician. I live in a city full of these people. But half of the musicians in Nashville go, I'm just going to be a starving artist. And they are, right? Whatever story you tell about your life ends up becoming true. Uh, and then there's plenty of people that, are, that I call thriving artists that are making a living off of their art because they saw somebody else do something that they now saw was possible for themselves and they got hope, they were inspired, and then they started searching for more stories like that. And as you do that, you kind of like build up a body of evidence where you go, I can do this. That's what I did with writing where I was like, 
oh, you don't have, you can do this for a living. I kept meeting people uh, that weren't, that weren't like Stephen King, you know, meeting everyday people, people that I could relate to that were doing it. And so how you begin to change sort of your base state is one, you have to realize that where you are right now is a result of a story. And it was probably a story that your parents told you and their parents told them, uh, and you now tell yourself. And in order to break out of this story, you've got to tell yourself a new story. And in order to do that, you have to surround yourself with other stories. You have to listen to podcasts like this. You have to see that something's possible. And it's okay to sort of put blinders on and consume a lot of positivity, especially right now when you're so used to talking yourself out of succeeding, spend that energy talking yourself into it. It's possible. Now, for someone who is thinking about starting a business, I know that you all have been pioneers in the blog world. Do you feel, because a lot of people, they feel like they have a story to share. They have a problem that they want to solve, but they don't necessarily know the medium that they should be using. Do you feel like people still should be starting blogs in today's world where there's, Mm -hmm. I want to say the last thing I read was like over 600 million active Mm -hmm. blogs. Or do you feel like there's maybe a better medium if you were starting all over today that you would look at? So this is how I would answer the question. You may not, you don't necessarily have to be a blogger, but you should have an online presence. If this pandemic has not taught us anything, it has taught all of the corporations, all the mom and pop businesses that they not only need to have a brick and border, but the main important thing is to have an online presence. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of companies and businesses that have failed because they did not have an online presence. So a lot of times I think when people hear the word blogger, they think, oh, gosh, I'm not good at writing. I got to write uh, blog posts. No, we don't even really write a lot of blog posts. Majority of our online presence is video and podcast. And so, no, you don't necessarily have to have a blog, but you should have some type of online presence because you can reach so many people, you know, farther by being online than you can by them, you know, coming in your neighborhood, ringing a doorbell or whatnot, or coming into an an actual establishment. So, yeah, I would say online for sure is the way to go. Yeah, the world's not going to get less digital. (laughs) Like we're only going to become more digitized as a society. What has happened here in our world is going to force technology to be an even more greater part of our world. So if you're sitting there trying to establish yourself as an authority or as an entrepreneur and you're not investing in creating an online presence, Mm -hmm. then you're doing only yourself a disservice. So I don't care if you can write or not. I don't care if you can... You, you know what your strengths are. If your strength is uh, audio, if your strength is video, if your yeah. strength is written, you need to take your strength, but then have it created in other fashions. And so you can take a video that you did on YouTube and have it create uh, somebody create an article based on the words that you said. Maybe you're not a writer, but somebody can take the words that you said and organize yeah. it in a fashion to put it on your online presence as a written um, article because um, my wife's background is in finance and my background is in education. And one thing that I know from being an educator is that everybody learns differently. Mm-hmm. We don't all learn from reading. We don't all learn orally. We don't all learn visually, but some do in each category. And so you want to give your content the best shot to reach people in the way that they learn. One of the failures of the education system is that 
we only teach one way. We are lecture based. We are top down in our approach. And that only reaches some learners. And so if your goal is to help somebody through the service, the product that you offer, then you it is your duty to bring it to them in a way that they can receive it because communication is a two-way street. It's not just a sender, but there's a receiver. And so we would encourage you to definitely have an online presence, play to your strengths and outsource your weaknesses. And let me say this, when we say online presence, we mean on your own real estate. So there are a lot of people that are building businesses and brands on Instagram, very successful. On Zuckerberg's real estate. On Facebook, (laughs) on Etsy, even on YouTube. But the truth of the matter is they can literally shut down your business with a click of a button. Someone can say that you're infringing on their idea. All they have to do is hit a button and Facebook can change the algorithm and it's over. Change the algorithm and it's done. So you need to have an online presence where you own the real estate. So for an example, I have a sister that is extremely successful in crafting. She's making very good money on Etsy. I think she just hit her. Oh, how many orders? I don't know. I think her 7,000 order maybe on Etsy Mm. where she does crafts. And she recently, over the past year, said, you know what? I need my own online presence. So now she started her website. She didn't shut down her Etsy store, but she's now funneling new customers. Hey, come to my website when you want to put in that order. Number one, that's going to be less fees because you're not giving fees to a third party site. And number two, it's going to be higher retention and name recognition. A lot of times when people think of Etsy, they they don't necessarily think about your business name. They think of Etsy in a world of Five million stores. But right. if you get them used to verbally say, hey, go to hisandhermoney.com for your needs, then that's name recognition. You understand what I'm saying? So build your real estate on your own. You own it. Think, think like a boss. Think like an owner. And don't build your brand or your real estate on somebody else's land. It should be supplemental. I love it. And that's right there, a whole truth, because so many people, they do, they look at Facebook and that's initially where they start to invest it. But your email list, which is an asset that you would own, right? That's so huge. And and I was one who made that mistake, like me having an online business now, what, four and a half years, it took me two and a half years before I really understood the power of owning your own real estate. And that's crazy because I'm in the actual real estate world in the offline market. And I'm always talking about ownership, but it was, it was that one time that somebody said, listen, you don't own this, you know, Facebook could shut you down. And so I'm glad that you all brought that up. And they've done it. And they've done it. 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 We know people personally, and it's hard trying to show them, no, I really am the owner of this. Like it's, it can be a headache. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think even more than that, even if they don't shut you down, they control the algorithm of who sees your product, your name, your service. Right. And that's tough as well, because if you were expecting certain amount of traffic coming in, but all of a sudden you switch up something where you don't do as many videos or whatever. And if, if you're not getting that engagement, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those sites, they'll just, they'll limit it. And now you're stuck trying to figure out how you can create that. But if you, the best organic reach that you're going to have is through your email list yep. because everybody's going to get it. Now, if it goes to their spam or whatever else, that's a whole different story, but at least they get it. It's in their inbox. You don't have to worry about when you start doing something only for the income, you lose your value Mm. because your mission is no longer with what it started with. Your mission is now making income. And for me, I feel like when you're only focused on making income, then you start making a lot of really bad decisions for your business. I would agree. I would definitely agree. Talk to me about 
what's looking at your journey now of where you are, a lot of people are going to see that you're crushing it, you're killing it. But we both know, and I'm sure many other people would know as well, that your journey has not always been on the up and up. There's been ebbs and flows because that's the reality of life. If you could look back from where you started to where you are today, is there one thing that you would have changed to help accelerate your dream to where it is today? What's one thing that you would have changed? Well, there was a couple of things with that. There was one period of time where I was still learning to budget. It was in the beginning of my journey. You know, I was getting the swing of things. However, my budget was just failing. It wasn't working for me. I wasn't seeing the progress that I wanted to. You know, I was dealing with a newborn son. I was frustrated. And I finally threw up my hands and I said, budgeting isn't for me. Okay, I can can pay my bills on time. I can make the minimum payments. I'm good. And I gave up. I gave up trying for a full year. I just made a buy. Mm. I didn't make any significant effort to do anything more than that, just to get by. And I always thought about that moment in my life, that period in my life where I gave up for a year. And I think to myself now, how much progress would I have made in that year if I wouldn't have given up? How different would my financial story and journey be if I didn't give up for that full year. Now I'm a big believer that you only fail when you give up, right? You fail when you don't give a hundred percent of yourself to what you're trying to accomplish. That was the only time in my, in my journey that I failed. So I think that right there is something that I would have changed. I wish that I would have had the dedication to continue and trying to make you know, trying to make it work, trying different solutions rather than just throwing up my hands and saying, I'm good. (laughs) But I think another thing, you know, another thing that I really do regret, and if there's any, anybody out there who have children who are also trying to grow their business or start a business, one of the things that I regret is all the moments in time I gave up with my son that I will never get back. It's easy. I know a lot of people say, well, we make the sacrifices that we do now to provide something better for our children in the future. But I look back and I missed my son's first words. I missed his first day of school. I missed his first steps. These are significant moments that I'll never get back with him. And he's my only child. I wish back then I would have been able to set strict boundaries for myself between personal life and my work. I wish I knew how to control the level of passion that I was feeling because I'm the type of person is when I'm passionate about something, when I'm trying to get things done, I don't stop until it's done. It doesn't matter whatever else is going on in my life. Everything else gets put to the back burner. Now, of course, over the years, I've learned to establish healthy boundaries in my life. I wish I would have done that sooner. Yeah, no, and we appreciate the vulnerability. I think that's where a lot of people can agree. Right now, we're living in a time of uncertainty. And a lot of people, you know, they're being hit. I know I've seen it 
hundred different ways of if you come out of this pandemic without a new skill, without more income, then you've essentially failed or you've lost. And so a lot of people now they're looking at, they're so aggressive and I got to do this that they're forgetting about. Listen, time is our most valuable asset. It's that one thing that you cannot get back. And especially if you're a single mom or if you're a single dad, you have to understand that there is a harmony, maybe not necessarily a balance, but there's a harmony. And sometimes that harmony is just surrounding yourself with teammates who can help you get some of those things off of your plate. And so that's kind of where I wanted to take this last question with you is how, because it seems like that you've really taken it to another level, but did this come after you realized that you had to have a team? Because you said in the beginning, you know, I had to build my community, but you also said, and, and it feels like just from my perception is you've always kind of been more of a private person. Like it takes a lot to get into your circle. It takes a lot to, to, to get into your good graces or your vibe. So why weren't you born the year I was born in 1950? The world wasn't ready for you. Just the fact that you are here the stop signs have been ruined. The lights go from, <laughs> from red to green. Hey, man, this is your time to go up on the rooftop and shout to the world, I'm here. This is what I've been sent to do. So work out your own salvation. So mindset. Everything occurs to you twice in life. The inner, the outer, the thought, the thing, the mental, the physical. And those men and women who have won mostly in life have relied mostly on themselves. So that is the bottom line. And what Stephen Covey talks about, make sure you keep the first thing the first thing. That's where your focus has got to be. Because we live in a society right now that is begging for your attention. Right. Because that's the number one rule of marketing. Let me take any marketing class. Number one, the first, the first class in principles of marketing, what is it? Make your eyeballs move. That's the job of any marketeer. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Uh, I don't like that. I don't like that. Now, this, uh, uh, yeah, you got more of this. This, I like. So the reason why this is the absolute best time, and I said it on George Frazier's uh, podcast, is because you got the best thinkers, the best influencers, the best game changers, the best STEM minds, whatever, all focused on one or two problems. And what are those one or two problems? Number one, the pandemic. And number two, racial unrest. And that's not me. That's Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell says any problem can be solved if only enough people care. And when he said any problem, well, damn it, he meant any problem. Right. The only reason why you have a problem is because you think you've got a problem. You really don't have a problem. <laughs> it's the thought that you think you've got a problem. And if you've got to think that you've got a problem, go find enough people who care. And that is the bottom line. Right now, you have enough people who care. This is my third pandemic, man. This is the third time I've been through this. I can show you right there in my arm when I got a polio injection. I was about, what, five, six years old? My mother takes me down to the Board of Health right there in New Jersey, in Jersey City. And all I can remember, kids crying and all these guys walking around with white coats, man. And I got popped. So that's number one, the polio. And, and, when, and when you think of that, you've got to think of Jonah Salk. You've got to go online and read about Jonah Salk. you got, okay, so right now you've got countries, you've got Putin on one side, you've got Trump on the other side, just throwing money in the pharmaceutical companies. This is almost like a race who can get the first vaccine because they're going to be bank like Hank. 
Right. Well, Jonas Salk was a mind changer, man. He was a mind changer. When he came up with the vaccine for polio, they said, Dr. Salk, man, you're going to be rich and everything. But he, he says, no. He says, this vaccine belongs to the people. Hmm. Can you imagine that? So that's number one. I get my polio. Couple of couple of years, here comes pandemic number two. What? It was uh, tuberculosis. And back then, parents had a choice. You could take your kid down to the board of health to be inoculated, or we will come to the public school and inoculate him in school. I got inoculated in school. They took me out of class, marched me down to the nurse's office, got popped. <laughs> class, man. So this is number three. Now, why do I say that? Do you really believe we needed a vaccine? If you think you needed one, go get it. That, that's where you are in your thinking. If you got a headache and you think you need an aspirin, by all means, take the aspirin. I've been a runner my entire life, more than 35 years of running. Marathons, half marathons, 10Ks, blah, blah, blah. Heaviest, this is one of the heaviest I've ever weighed in my life, and I'm staying right here, it looks like, until I decide to drop a little, got on the scale this morning, 215, blah, blah, blah. But when I ran, I wasn't an ounce over 175. So what happened? On 35 years of running, uh, Casanova, I tore my knees up. I mean, my knees are gone. Had in 2010, 10 years ago, I had my first knee replacement. Five years later, I had my second uh, knee replacement. But the bottom line is, if you're created in his image, in his image, and this is the good news, man, this, this is the absolute good news. We need to get on our knees every day and thank God we're created in his image. He's not created in ours. Mm. Well, Dr. Kimber, what in the world are you talking about? And you're still talking about mindset. Well, look at the World Health Organization. Go to their website. They track the top 10,000 diseases on the planet. The World Health Organization, top 10,000. Go to CDC. They track the top 400. So between those two institutes of health, on a daily basis, they they track the top 10,400 diseases. And not one was created by God. Mm. Not one. Now, am I saying they don't exist? No. Where do they exist? They exist in your mind. And wow. until we get to that point of working out our own salvation, you do whatever you've got to do. If I wake up in the morning, my eyes are bloodshot, I'm not going anywhere until I pop some Visine. Mm. I got to be able, I'm not going to run anymore, but I like to walk. Right now, what I heard is that you're having a pivot and a shift in, in a lot of forms. Like things were already going well for you. You were, you had, you were in your zone as a musician. And now all of a sudden you have to pivot. And for a lot of people right now, especially with this pandemic going on, there's a lot of pivots going on in the world. So walk me through what has been the process because you said that it's not been comfortable or it's not been the easiest. What's been your process to trying to get your routine down and make it more comfortable for you. Transitioning from doing large scale conferences where you're keynoting for a couple thousand people to sitting in your office all day, every day doing virtual keynotes has been a challenge. And so early on, say in March of this year, I watched six well into six figures of revenue just disappear, right? Because mm. the co conferences got canceled, they got postponed, they got moved, whatever the, whatever the scenario was. But in the middle of a book launch, that was all pre-sales of books too. So now I'm looking at trying to figure out 
what am I going to do? So the pandemic actually forced me into innovation in, in ways mm. that I hadn't had to think of before. And, it, and it's actually turned out pretty well enough so that once we're through this and we can go back to doing large scale conferences again, I feel like the virtual stuff that I've been able to develop over the last six months will become a yes. And it's a, I'll go and do the big one, but then let's follow up with two additional virtual sessions that allow us to carry the conversation further than me being on stage for an hour. And it's been a challenge, but one that has, has really been able to bear a lot of fruit, right? So you were able to dive into the technology side of what it takes to, to do something virtually that is not just the talking head. So right. it's, it's not just the PowerPoint presentation. So how can we go deep into that? So that led me into the, the deep dive of multi-cameras now. So now I have a three camera set up in my office with moving cameras and, and stream decks and all the ecam software and all these different things that allow me to bring the energy that I would at a large scale conference into a tiny little box that I now have to present through. Wow. That's, yeah, that's definitely a pivot. And so for anybody who doesn't know, if anybody's listening to this and they're pretty tech savvy, I got the same setup right here. Rode Podcaster Pro, the Stream Deck, uh, a couple different cameras, new cameras. So mm -hmm. it's definitely a pivot for someone who is right now trying to say, okay, I want to get into speaking. And I, because you have been able to crush that world, at least from the outside looking in. And I think you've had a lot of substance because there's a lot of speakers out there that don't necessarily have substance. They just have a lot of good energy and motivation, which mm -hmm. is uh, every place has its own. But sure. for you coming from, I guess, specifically you came from being a musician where it was more about just the feel good. It yeah. wasn't that you had to actually take action from the music, That's but right. now you have to pivot that. How have you been able to do that? Was that an easy transition from you? Was that already who you were and how could someone else emulate the same thing? So the so the showmanship was an easy transition. You know that you've got to go in and you've got to perform whether there's 20 people in a room or 2000 people in a room, you still want to give them the same, the same performance. Mm -hmm. So uh, on that side, it was a fairly easy tr uh, transition on the other side of content. That's a whole different ball game. If you want to be able to be successful in the speaker world, what I will tell people is this, there are two types of people in that world that I have noticed, uh, and this is coming from the music business. So there are speakers and there are presenters. Mm. Now, I would, in my opinion, it's 95% presenters and maybe 5% speakers. So what I mean by that is there are a bunch of people who are good at presenting information, but they do not know how to own a room. They don't know how to own a stage. They don't know how to do any of that. And so mm -hmm. the stage swallows them because they don't have the edutainment factor that you need to carry a large room. Speakers are somebody uh, who basically leaves enough space in what you're doing to capture the truth in the room in the moment. And that means you can't have everything scheduled out to the second. You're not playing to tracks. You don't have scheduled choreography, dance moves. You've got to worry about this is leave enough space so that if the room decides to take a right, you can go there. 
Mm. And that's, that's the difference between a speaker. The speaker can actually let the room dictate where this is going to go a little bit. And when you do that, you give yourself chance to capture that lightning in a bottle that uh, is, is really rare for a presenter to find themselves in that position. Got it. So how does somebody develop that showmanship to have that speaking ability? What what would you say? What's something that you've learned early on in your journey that has helped you to accelerate? You've got to own your content. You've got to be an expert in your content. And if you're not, why would anybody listen to anything you have to say? So you've got to, for me, it was not just being somebody who could be inspirational or motivational on stage, that's great. But what if somebody comes up afterwards and questions you on the science behind what it is you're presenting? Can you Mm. answer those questions? Can you have a discussion about the science? And that is what separates the good from the great. And so the greats, they know the content, they know the science, whether you're a Harvard grad or you're you're just somebody who is is really interested in the the theme of what you're talking about or the subject matter of what you're talking about, you have to be a subject matter expert if you want to make sure that people listen to what you have to say. And then you have to be prepared to defend whatever it is that you are presenting. What was the biggest struggle that you think you had to overcome? And looking back at it now, if you could have you know, did this even faster, it would have helped to have scaled your success or at least where you are today. Man, I wouldn't change a damn thing about my journey. Um, because, and there's lessons, sure, could I have done it faster? But I've learned to respect the fact and the idea that there are no skipping steps. Hmm. Like, no matter how fast you want to get to the pendulum or to the, to the promised land, like, you can't skip steps in life. You can skip lessons that you'll have to come back and learn later, but each level is sequentially preparing you to do exactly what you need to do and learn the lessons you exactly need to learn so that you can be the human being that you need to be in this lifetime. And I'm pretty spiritual by nature. I believe that everything is unfolding exactly as it should. I believe in destiny. I believe that we all have this calling inside of us that our hearts are pulling us towards. And it's our job as human beings to listen Mm -hmm. and create in that direction. And the life that we live through that is going to have its own magical journey. But for me to go back and say that I would have done something different is doing a massive disservice to the journey that I had. Hmm. Like I made the mistakes I did. I made lots of mistakes. I made mistakes of trusting people that I probably shouldn't have trusted. I made mistakes of not doing due diligence when I made my first orders. Um, I made the mistake of being afraid of asking for help. I made, Mm. I made so many mistakes, but those mistakes had to be made in order for me to sit here with the vantage point now. And for me to be who I am today, because if I would have made any different choices, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I love who I am today. Love it. And if you love who you are today, and if you're proud of the person you are today, there's nothing you could have done differently. Sure. Could you have done things in a way that maybe hurt less people? This is, this goes beyond just business though. This is like relationships, business, all of it, right? Like, could you have done things differently that may have led to less pain in other people's lives? Sure. But we're not optimizing our life for joy. We are optimizing our life for life. Right. Nobody goes through life unscathed, right? Mm -hmm. If there's anything that COVID and all of this, really this year has taught all of us, it's that we actually had no control. Right. 
It's a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing that mother nature really slapped everyone with, but like, even like the goals I had in January, these really amazing resolutions that I made went out the window and everything changed overnight right. for a lot of people. And I think that's just the best reminder that could we have done things better? Could we have prepared better? Could we have made different choices that would have led to different outcomes, you know, in hindsight, of course, but, uh, your current experience is the only thing that's real. And this experience today is dictated and influenced by so many choices that were good and bad, that created pain and love. And in the concoction of all of that chaos, you're now living in a moment of truth and a moment of, of, of expansion. And when we say present to that experience, I think life just gets really, really, really colorful. For so many people, just like you were saying, and and it goes back to the times of uncertainty. And this is where I think that you've been able to inspire me is because of the fact that you've created not a facade, but you've created a real life scenario of how to every single day create hope for yourself. I I think that's just to be honest. Right. And, and I think it's, it's an easier way to be is to be honest and nobody expects you to be superhuman. And I think we're a little suspicious of people who are superhuman and don't have bad days and don't like, you know, I, yeah, of course I love my kids, but I also wish that they would get out of my house. Like I, I, I did my job. I raised you. I bathed you. I clothed you. I got you off and on your own and into college and now canceled school's canceled and they're back home. But we, I'm happy to report that as much as I love my children, like coronavirus brought them all back to live in the smaller home that my husband and I downsized to, to be empty nesters with. And, and now we're, our nest is full again, but I'm happy to, to say that we, it gave us another opportunity to say like, okay, the plans that they laid for themselves and p- listeners have laid for themselves, like the goals you set for 2020 and 21 and beyond, maybe they've changed. Rather than beating yourself up, just sit down and revise them. And that's what we had to do with our kids. Like they kind of freaked out. Like we had all these plans and we, in the last month have sat down and said, okay, sky's the limit. What do you want to do? And now let's reverse engineer that plan because you're going to do it. You have everything you need to do it. And let's reverse engineer that plan. Like, where do you want to live? How much is that going to cost you? How much do you need to make? How can you, you know, I, I know there are all these things you thought you were going to do and you're not going to be able to do them now. So what can we do instead? And I think everyone needs to do that instead of beating yourself up and, and trying harder to work towards something that just, it doesn't look the same today. Nothing looks the same. No. Just, just rethink it and don't beat yourself up. Just know that you have the tools to reverse engineer it. Yeah. You've taught people marketing, obviously for past 20 years, really. Right. And maybe even longer than that for somebody right now, that's thinking that they want to become a business owner. They want to start up their own business. Obviously you have the marketing impact Academy and you have other programs that help with that. But is there a couple steps that people can start doing right now to try to generate 50 to a hundred dollars a day that you love this scenario? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's two part question, right? So there. I used to believe you had to think about being a business owner. And in today's economy, in today's environment, you don't necessarily have to be a business owner or even an entrepreneur in order to make 50 to $100 a day online. 
So, and I think many people are intimidated by the thought of being a business owner or an entrepreneur. And if you give yourself the grace or permission to say like, hey, what if I just tried to make some extra money online? There's a million really cool, low, low to no cost ways to do that from reselling items in your home. Like that's one of the easiest ways. Like you have so much, like even clothes you're thinking nobody wants us. Yeah, they do put it together in a lot, resell that stuff. You have expertise that you, you don't even need a website. You can just post it up on Instagram and in your stories and say like, Hey, if there's anyone who needs help on um, figuring out how to pass your real estate exam or how to start your own podcast or how to become an affiliate for Airbnb, here's my Calendly link or my acuity link and people can schedule a $50 call with you. Mm. And you might think to yourself, well, can't they just watch a YouTube video and figure that stuff out? Sure. But it's so much easier and better when it comes from someone who they already connect with. So there's a million things that you've already figured out that they might not make you a million dollars, but it definitely can make you 50 to a hundred dollars a day. And you can use social media to do that. For those people who want to be a business owner, you need to own the real estate. If you don't own the real estate, you ain't a business owner. And by that, I mean, I talked to a lot of network marketers who, you know, they, they call themselves business owners, but they haven't built their own brand. They don't own the email list. Their, their upline or the corporation gets to tell them what they can and can't do. And I, you know, I think it's questionable to call yourself an entrepreneur if you're operating in that way. You can't call yourself a business owner if you don't own any of the means by which to contact your customers. And by that, I mean, you got to start an email list today, today, that, Instagram, go away, Facebook, all of them. Yeah. If you, if you don't own your email list, you, you don't, it's, you're living on borrowed time. It can all go away. And like, I mean, even just this year, while we're in this crazy political environment, hearing our uh, politicians talking about doing away with certain social media platforms. And you and I might go, that thing never going to happen. That is crazy talk. Well, all the crazy talk that could have ever possibly happened has happened. So we should probably plan on it. And you know, that's why I say you should every, every single day, rather than looking at how many new followers you've grown on Instagram, ask yourself, how many new people can you serve on your email list? Yeah. And that's crucial because I'll be honest, I was late and I, I can't remember. I think it was, I want to say Amy Porterfield's show. And one day she had said that. And I, I never knew about the power of growing email lists. No one said that. So while I thought that I was building a business, I was really just building followers and I didn't know anything about it. And it's like, okay, but are those followers actually opening up their wallets to say, hey, the value that you serve, like I'll pay you for that. And then it wasn't until I really dove into that, that I was like, oh, and just like you said, I mean, you have these social media sites and while they might not do away with those social media sites, Facebook or YouTube, they can ban you for whatever reason. For yeah, whatever. I mean, I, I've, people reach out to me all the time who ha- have spent a lot of time cultivating a large following and they're using that as their sole means of um, building their business and then they get hacked. Right. And there's nothing you can do. I mean, it's, it's really hard to get an account back. For a lot of people right now, they have this opportunity to make a pivot because COVID's around all around the world and maybe they've gotten furloughed or maybe they've gotten fired or maybe they've just gotten exposed to the digital world and understanding that every opportunity is there for them. But what they don't know is how to recognize that this is the time to make the pivot. They don't under, they're like, okay, maybe I'll just stick this out for another two months, three months or whatever it is. Was there a moment that clicked for you where you were like, man, I'm not living in my greatest calling? 
There's a few. There's a few different times. And I think everyone or every entrepreneur or thought leader or whatever you want to call us comes to pivots and comes to crossroads in their journey and figuring out what's actually going to help me and what's going to, where do I need to go? What do I need to do? There's some dark times that I've had like growing up. My older sister passed away when I was young. That sent me on a different trajectory in my life. I went to the military, passed a baseball scholarship, said to hell with it. I was running away and I had an issue of running away from pain. Mm. And that's what's happened. We see this with the world is people are running away from pain and running away from things that make them feel uncomfortable. You need to lean into that. If you lean into, you can discover the hidden gifts behind that pain. There's a, there's a prize behind Give me an example of leading into it. Right. Leaning in. So say for instance, and I had something, and I'll give you something very, be very vulnerable. It, when my daughter was born, I struggled with, before she was born, I've always struggled with being, un, being vulnerable enough to, and that's the first time I ever cried of, and being a, tears of joy. And it was the most exhilarating moment of my life. It was the most th- like terrifying moment of my life, cutting the cord. And I didn't know up until then, that time is where my ex and, and whatnot of whatever our relationship dissolved, it sent me on a different wave and I had to lean in. So for me to be the best father in the world, I needed to lean in and experience that pain of being vulnerable because I never loved something as much as I would have loved. And it's being, you have to be vulnerable. So right. we're, we're men, hey. raised around as generations that we're not taught <laughs> to show pain or showing being vulnerable. Yeah, I can hear it in my dad's my voice. You're going to make yourself sick. Why are you crying? Like those types of things. Right. You're man up. What's wrong with you? I'm going to send you home, send you home to talk to your mom or whatever that was. Right. But, but when you don't deal with that, like I'm, I'm going to teach my daughter to know her, her emotions and dealing with her emotions or everybody that I talk to. And because, you're more relatable that way. And that was a very dark time for me going through that. And I had a, it's kind of like, I was very successful. was made, you know, eight figures. How is this person? If I was bought into the identity of being successful, mm. Chris is good, right? Makes, makes monies, businesses and whatnot. But I've had to, I had to go back in at that time and do all the hard work and put it in. This is pre right before COVID. And I had to put in that hard work. So waking up 5 a.m. and realigning and mind, body, spirit, putting in the work and checking in with myself to make sure that I'm aligned and feeling pain. Like in mm-hmm. re-anchoring certain emotions when it's tied into other stories that maybe are not even real life. But I've told myself those lies and believed it now to be true. And I had to realign it and take a different emotion and put something positive there to make mm. sure that I'm, cause I'm working on my daughter's opinion of me, not right now of my opinion of me at, when she's 35, mm. that's how hard I'm putting in this work. So I owe it to her to put in that work, to become hundred percent, the best father that I can be. And of course that overlook that overspills on all the other areas of my life. Right. I become a more, a better entrepreneur, a better listener, like showing more empathy, being very putting myself in, in a customer's shoes. And because a lot of companies, they try to say that they're customer centric, but they're really not through their actions. But mm. you put yourself in those shoes. So to go into that, that, if I had to pick out one moment, it was a recent moment and 10 months ago that I had, to, I, had to, I had to ask myself some really difficult questions and go through a really traumatic experience that I come out on the other side and put in the work. A lot of people, this COVID stuff, you're, you're going to know who put in the work during this time in the mm. next two years. 
that's the episode for today. Let me know if you got any value out of this. If you liked anything about it, reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter, any of the social media networks. And of course, leave me a review, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you're hearing this at. I would love to have a review to show, you know, what you're getting out of this. Is there anything that I could do better? Is there any way that I can add more value to you? So hopefully you all take some action today. That's my show. I love you all. Be great. But remember, we must take action. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.